Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. And the two sink hot cold thing. Like, can someone get Herb Kohler on the blower and tell him there's an entire country, an entire country that needs a one faucet situation as opposed to the burning hot on the left and the freezing cold on the right. Yeah. Bizarre, bizarre. Thing. We're in 2022. Uh, Nigel just showed us a picture of your hotel. It's, it's fantastic. Oh, it's man. nice. It's fantastic. It's it like you can me. give up a heated Show. toilet seat for that hotel. <laughs> I mean, you can. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. We will have Sands on later and he can tell us not just about the British Open, but checking out of Rusak's hotel, I believe, basically I on the grounds okay. at St. Andrews. It's really lovely. Um, so I watched last night. The Nats finally won a game. They had lost nine games in a row and nine games in a row to the Braves, and they finally won a game, and Kyle Finnegan came in and saved the game. And But that's not the big story, although let me just say what the big story is. You wouldn't know it if you watched the Nats games because they don't talk about it, unless I'm wrong with this, Michael, because I tuned in a little late. They're not talking about the possibility of trading Juan Soto. They're not talking about Juan Soto turning down $440 million. And you can, when you hear me say this, you can say, oh, yeah, well, he's going to get more than that. Well, you don't know he's going to get more than that. And you don't know he won't break his legs before he signs the next deal. $440 million is wealth for everyone in your family for the rest of time. For the rest of time. You turn that down. I mean, you turn it down, obviously, on the advice of your agent, Scott Boris. Maybe Scott Boris is the devil, kids. Maybe. $440 million. Michael, did they talk about the possibility of Soto being traded? You mean you think it would be news that, I don't know, a generational talent who came of age and led you to a World Series? You think his, not, his turning down an extension and a sign would be news? No, they haven't mentioned it at all. But you're now <laughs> seeing angry Soto, who's defiantly hitting home runs. The worst well, part about run- this is... Everywhere else you look, they are talking about this. And the worst is that they're, tr- they're circling uh, the, the city and they're looking at the Mets and the Yankees as possible landing spots. Well, he hit a home run in the eighth. I mean, he banged one out of there. And they were already up by two or three, but he hit another home run. I think the final was 7-3, something like that. But you, you have to talk about this. I'm sorry, even if you're employed by the team. News is news. This is a big deal story. I think Kenny Rosenthal had it first at The Athletic. I think so. Um, and Juan Soto turns down the $440 million, and the Nats apparently let it leak that they are now considering trading him. If I own the Nats and I'm trying to sell the team, gosh, I don't know if I get rid of Juan Soto because then I think I'm looking at eight years of 50-win seasons. I don't know. I don't know that I want to do that. I've got him for two more years. He can't go anywhere. I've got him for two more years. I don't have to make a trade this year or next year. I can keep coming back to this guy. I, I don't know. And you have to talk about it. I'm sorry. The broadcast, well, you, you, I like the broadcast. You have to talk about it. You have to read the city. This is a player that has stolen all of our hearts. I mean, this, yes. is, a, this is a player that my, my two under five, uh, they know him by name. They know his number. They come back to the TV to see him at bat. And no matter what the reasons were for Turner, uh, for Rendon, for Scherzer, for Bryce Harper, this just feels different. It does, and I have friends who have been on this show who have said, if you trade him, I'm returning my tickets today. I'm returning my tickets. I don't want your ticket. I don't want to watch your team. And these are rational people who have real jobs, (laughs) and that's their position. Um, Let me go to the news. That's not the news of the day. The big news of the day is the British Open. I confess I was playing golf for most of the British Open. I hoped Rory would win. We will talk to Wilbon and Sands about this. I had hoped Rory would win. Rory played okay, didn't play great, was two under on a Sunday, but didn't play great, and was beaten by a 64 on Sunday by Cam Smith, who is no rumdum, who won the players earlier this year, who is a great putter, who's a sort of weird-looking fella, but he's a great putter, and he threw two 64s at St. Andrews. On the second day, Michael, and the fourth day, right, he threw 64. If you close 64 on Sunday, you deserve to win. You beat the other guy. The other guy didn't lose it if he's under par. You beat the other guy. Um, most, the number one highlight, of course, is the weird putt on 17 on the road hole that put him within 15 feet. And then he made, that was the shot of the day, he made the putt to keep a two-stroke lead. Or maybe, yeah, no, it was one because I guess Cam Young eagled. 
Um, I'm not sure. You can give me the sequence, Michael, but what did you think of the tournament at large and what did you think of, of Rory not winning? Uh, it's the biggest surprise. This was scripted. If you look at the just the movie, the movie reels of, uh, you know, the anointment of Bobby Jones, of Jack Nicholas, uh, you, you sort of could see 50 years down the line, Rory McIlroy getting that same treatment. Yeah. When you saw yeah. Tiger Woods walk off the Swilkin Bridge, not stop for the photo, and you see the tip of the cap from Rory, this made sense. Uh, this was the movie that everyone had drew up. Rory called this the Holy Grail. Uh, the tagline they had, everything has led to this. It feels like everything that has been boiling over in men's professional golf led to this, the distance debate. The RNA has had a chance to weigh in on distance. They did not. You saw a golf course, a championship course, where half of the par fours were drivable, and you're looking at a, a generational talent who is the best driver of the golf ball. He had the most two-putt birdies that anyone has ever had uh, in a in a men's major. I think it was beating out Tiger Woods in 05 at this same course. So that's the biggest surprise. You know, as we listen to Sands, everything that you hear from the ground was the entire crowd all week, all weekend was pulling for him. Let's go, Rory. And Cam Smith just sort of snuck in and stole the show. It did not feel like the course actually had enough bogeys in it for Rory to lose. And then you actually had to realize you looked at it the wrong way. And you wonder about the pairings. Rory and Victor Hovland had a great, uh, they had a great back and forth on Saturday. Everybody wanted to see that famous duel in the sun, the 77 Nicholas Watson, what you saw with um, Mickelson and Henrik Stenson a few years back. Everybody wanted that on Sunday. And maybe you got it a day early and maybe Victor Hovland, he comes out a little bit slow. And maybe that uh, maybe that put Rory into too much of a conservative mindset. And a lot of the criticism was he was not aggressive enough, particularly in the early part of the round. And the reality is, is he didn't need to be. That was the power of having the two-shot lead over these other guys. And you, you start at 17. I'm going to go back to 11. This is one of the most famous par threes in all of golf. This is a template hole that we have all over the United States with with all these, you know, McDonald, with these Rainer courses, and you have these two strategic bunkers you have to avoid. Uh, so you, you have to be a little careful off the tee, and that's where uh, Cam Smith, he makes a mid-range birdie putt, and that's where he says the hole started to get a little bit bigger, and then you start to get to these strategic short par fours like 12. He's able to take advantage of the par five, and then, you know, I was reading Jeff Shackelford, who was breaking down the conversations with his caddy on 16 and 17, where all of a sudden he had to slow down and go back to strategic thinking. And 17, that was just a masterclass. You've seen players, if you look at the old highlights, they've actually putted it into that bunker. Uh, and it's such it's such a shallow shelf that his making that 15-footer it looked like for par was almost as surprising, maybe it shouldn't have been, as Rory just not getting the read right when he came through needing the birdie. So I did watch some of the holes, and Rory had a very makeable birdie on one that just missed to the left. And I wondered, you know, is this not going to be his day? I had watched Paul Azinger set this whole thing up saying that they're going to play match play and the winner between them is going to win. Everyone was sort of dismissing everyone else further down the road here. And Cam Smith is too good a putter for you to dismiss him. I mean, again, he's, he's very, very young, but he's very, very good. And he has the advantage that Michael can speak to. That in Australia, these types of courses in the, well, it's their winter, it's our summer, but their winter, which is their summer, actually, their summer is in the winter. They play these types of courses. After the first day when Cam Smith shot 67 and he was being interviewed on television, he said, I've played these kinds of courses all my life. Right, Michael? That was important for him. Yeah, if you if you go backwards from the tag tagline, everything has led to this. You sort of look at every road comes back to the old course, comes back to St Andrews, and it's no surprise uh, the the winners at the Masters are often closely linked to the winners at the old course, and it's not just the overpowering of a course; it's the strategy to try and plot your way around this, or, you know, around this type of golf. And Cam Smith's coming out party, I think it was probably the the fall masters where people saw him and he's, I think he's been top 10 the last three years. I could be wrong, but you also look at the impact of that style of design and play uh, the sand belt of Australia and just the creativity. It's no surprise. He's a great pitcher of the golf ball. He's, he's obviously a great putter. Uh, 
but you look at that type of willingness to play what he's given. You see a lot of people who now come over for the Scottish Open, they they really want to try and get comfortable with the turf. Are you changing out your wedges so that uh, you, you can be a little bit more precise as you come down into the ball? And that probably felt pretty natural for him. If you go back to Rory, he's an aerial golfer. He plays from the air down, and you've often can do that at the old course. But, uh, you know, you look at what that's asked of him, and... If you come back to the putting, he's he historically has been a fine putter. He's been better in recent years, but uh, it did not uh, it did not seem too surprising when he missed a couple of those early mid range birdies. I will say this that on our last sands, this if Rory will ever win another major, he has four majors. He got them young. Four is a lot. If you go through the history of golf, there's not more than fifty people who have more than four. There may not be thirty people who have more than four. So it's really hard to get to four and it may be really harder to get to five. This was, as Michael is alluding to, this is the British Open. He's from Northern Ireland. He's the crowd favorite. When it was at his home course a couple of years ago, it was an awful situation. He didn't even make the cut. He came in here and he had four rounds, four good rounds, and he didn't win. And he was anointed to win and he didn't win. And he's got to be asking him. And it, this happens. Somebody gets caught and passed. Phil Mickelson had a great last round at the British Open a few years ago, and Henrik Stenson beat him. It happens. So we'll talk to Sands about that and Wilbon as well, because I'm sure Wilbon watched. Thank you, Michael. We will take a break, and Wilbon will join us, we hope, when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Hal Duranik sends this in. He goes, this is Hal in Seattle. Over the past many years, you've played my band, The Almost Faithful, several times. Here are two more songs for you. They're unreleased songs. They'll be part of an upcoming album. And he writes, sadly, The Almost Faithful is breaking up after almost eight years and almost 40 shows. Final gig uh, in a couple of Saturdays, August 6th, at the Blue Moon Tavern in Seattle. It'd be great if you and the gang could make it out on second thought. It is not a Johnny Walker <laughs> Blue type of establishment. So I guess I should not put you on the guest list. You know. Anyway, they hope to see some littles on the first Saturday in August. In the meantime, you can listen to The Almost Faithful on every streaming site known to man. This is called History Keeps Repeating, and it plays in... Michael Wilbon, and we'll start with this, because we're going to get to the Open, because today, look, the day after the Masters, the day after the Open, we're going to talk about golf, but let's start. I was surprised to learn that you went to Las Vegas for Summer League. You know where I am on all exhibitions, all, football, baseball, hockey, what basketball. I don't care about them at all. You can, someone else can go see them. Don't talk to me about them. I don't care. I thought you were that way on exhibition games. Tell me, this is not about exhibition. You know that I told you 20 years ago I started calling NBA All-Star Weekend Black Thanksgiving. Remember yep. that? Yep. Well, that has moved. And, and, all, and the Summer League is now just Thanksgiving. Um, Vegas has been Las Vegas, not some little town. We're not talking about the beach communities of Delaware. That's right. We're talking Las Vegas, Nevada is transformed by NBA Summer League, which has transformed the industry. And I, I, I knew this was coming when I would, I would go duck out there for three, a couple of days, two days in the max is all I do. And I did that in 2000, maybe 18 and 19, and then there was no Summer League in 2020, and it was scaled down last year. And this year, I knew what it had become. It's a cultural force. In basketball, and it has nothing to do with the games. It has to do with the industry all gathering there. And you can't cover this industry. You don't. You don't do that anymore. I do. And 
all of a sudden I was just I was getting texts from people, calls from people saying, where, where are you? Everyone is here. And by everyone, I mean the entertainment industry because all rappers want to be ballers and all ballers want to be rappers. I mean the basketball industry. I'm talking owners. I'm talking LeBron James just walks into a gym in Vegas and he stays for two days. And it is it has become a phenomenon. And I think these things happen organically. You know, there's marketing people involved. You know, Warren Legary, who runs the league, I spent some time talking to him. And, you know, you there were so many people saying, where are you? Including our bosses, Tony. Again, that may not cross your radar. Our, our bosses, our, the network bosses, the basketball bosses, the powers that be in the financial community, the entertainment, they're there. They're gathered. And I, I, it was clear that I was making the wrong call by not popping through there. Everybody on our, all of my colleagues who talk about basketball on air. And so I just went over from Phoenix. It's a 45-minute flight. I went over from Phoenix on Saturday. And I was, when I got there, I was there five minutes, and I knew this was the right thing to do. That you don't cover that league and not show up, show your face. So this was not work for me. This was, you know, maybe a self-imposed obligation. But within five minutes, I, I knew I'd done the right thing. Because every single person that you need to talk to People that have been our sources, yes, our, yours, and mine, for decades, they're there. And you show your face, and you sort of pay respect that way. And it's Vegas for two days. How bad can right. it be? You're going to have some good meals. Could have played golf with my friend Vince. I didn't. But, you know, this is, this is what the industry has new things that move. And this is now, I don't know, five years old maybe? But it's the plane. I just took a flight back overnight from Washington. First of all, not only the coaches and the executives and all these people from the Wizards on the flight, the summer league players are on the flight, which kind of surprised me. And the flight is full, full to Dulles. And there's more than one flight full to Dulles. Was Was there someone in particular you wanted to see play, or was the play unimportant? You just wanted to be at the event. I wanted to be at the events, but then I wanted to see whether there are a couple of kids on the Bulls. Can they play? I get to sit on the floor and watch them. Can they, can, do I think they can play? A kid who was drafted first round out of Arizona, um, Dale and Terry, and a kid, uh, Seminovich, seven-footer, European kid who has had crazy numbers, 27 points in this game, 31 points in that game. And I looked at him for like a game, and I just said, he, he can't play. He can't play in this league. Okay. But, you know, you sit there and do that, Tony, because maybe there's a Ben Wallace. This is, so there's two kids on every team fighting for a spot. And there are people who run the G League. And, they, and they, they're there. And their owner, their coaches, Mike Brown is Sacramento. He's trying to change the whole thing. He's sitting there. You know, you can go and you can see and talk to these people. But, yes, there were players I wanted to see. The draft picks, the first-round draft picks. And the, the, one of the reasons is so... Star starry now is because it's tomorrow's stars today. Like like LeBron played in summer league. I, I guess it was in Vegas when he played it. But if we come up to more recent times, Zion, these kids all play summer league. Tony, they all play in Vegas. Well, they play one or two games and then they often get shut well, down. Well, no, no, some of them play all the games. Well, Ben Carroll, a couple played of people have been one. shut down this year. That's one. Yeah. That's ben Carroll. That's that's his team. Yeah. But but many of them play all five games. And so you get to sit there and watch them if you want. So, so like the notion that, that somebody went 5-0, and oh, I don't care. This right. kid Jericho Sims on the Knicks, he's 6'9". He's going to put him out on the floor. He's spent four years at Texas. Can he play? And you sit there and watch, and you watch with scouts and coaches and other players. and It's fascinating. If you love, only if you love that sport is it fascinating. Otherwise, you know, I got to do both yesterday. I got to... I watched the golf because it's three-hour time difference. I was up early. I got to watch the golf and then the championship sure. game. Knicks. I saw the Knicks not win another championship. Yeah, Talking about that, yeah, <laughs> they lost I'm to Portland. Not with them. So at noon, I got to, the golf ended at eleven, eleven oh five. I was in an Uber. Yeah, and I got to see yeah. every swing of the golf. Eight-hour difference. I got to see every shot. 
Eight-hour difference from Vegas. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Baseball All-Star game, the only, the only All-Star game that matters to me, at least to me, because you have pitchers and hitters. Yeah, and well, I mean, see this it. isn't even – this isn't, doesn't go near All-Star. This doesn't approach that. This right. is not about the, the contest. No, I but, understand. But, yes, but, I mean, baseball is still – you know what's And home run derby is tonight. Was. And I want to watch Home Run Derby. I like Home Run Derby. You don't. I do. I like Home Run Derby. But I like the game. People in it. Yeah, I like the the game game, too. Even the game is not what it used to be. No. And the reason it's not what it used to be is because interleague play has has watered down everything. And I'm I'm somebody who grew up where you would say interleague play is a big deal. Mets, Yankees, of course. White Sox, Cubs, of course. It is. It's not the ruination of everything, but it's bad, Uh, Mike. It's a bad idea. it, it It should go away for a while. That's what I think, and instead they're adding. That's not going to happen. No, they're adding to it. Let's get to Mm -hmm. the British Open. And let's get to, uh, you play golf and I play golf. We play poorly, but we like golf a lot. We we like it a lot. Cam Smith won it. Rory didn't lose it. Rory didn't play great. Rory should have had at least a 68, and he had a 70, and you have to go down the leaderboard to find anybody other than Hovland who didn't do well on Sunday. But Cam Smith was spectacular. The obvious question is, do you think Rory will ever win another major? Because this I, is know, heartbreaking. I, I, I have no idea. I'm not, heartbreak. I'm, I'm not heartbroken for Rory and for Jordan Spieth. I'm not. They've won majors. They've won multiple majors. How many you got to win? I'm heartbroken for a guy who's won, who won, what, three or four majors by the time he was 26 years old? No, I'm not heartbroken. Not at all. He, he two-putted... You and I would give years off our lives to putt like Rory did yesterday. That's, yeah. To get close. Two putt it. Every green except one. No bogeys. No bogeys. I mean, come on. I'm not, this is not an international tragedy. That Cam Smith, who, he he, is the strangest looking great competitor in any sport now. You you he, sent me a text. You called him the porn star looker. Yeah, <laughs> you know? he did. He did. Because of that hair, yeah, the, and yeah, the wispy the hair little and the beard. Mustache, and it's like, what is this yeah. dude doing? Yeah, and he just right. makes every putt. It's so, does. it's crazy. He it does. It's crazy. But I'm not. No, I don't feel for Rory, and I don't know if he'll win. I don't. I know a lot of people won't win. A lot of people don't win majors. They don't, or they they may win one or two. You know, I mean, so I, this notion that. Um, it's like Steph Curry has to win the MVP of the NBA. No, he doesn't. No. no, he doesn't. He changed the history of basketball. Don't tell me he has to win the MVP of the uh, finals. He doesn't. Now, he won one. Great. But Rory doesn't have to win any more majors. And I don't know that he will. And it's not something that I'm preoccupied with. And we, if we were talking about this today, we don't have a show, do we? No, if we were no. talking about this today, I would say that I'd be one of the different voices on this topic. And I would say Rory was great yesterday. He got beat. That's what happens in sports. He and got we forget beat. that now because we have to find we have to find someone to blame. That's what that's what sports talk does. Let's find someone to blame and someone so that we can finger him and everybody can boo him. No, nothing a, to boo. No, when he a guy terrific. shoots guy shoots sixty four on a Sunday, and huh. on the back nine shoots thirty. I'm sorry, he wins. He's going to win. Yeah. He wins. And he barely won. Yeah. Even when the, when, the other, when the other cam drops in the eagle putt. Yeah. Come on. That's, that's great stuff. It was, you know, the, it was great theater. Um, golf and tennis. You know, I thought of this yesterday when I, was, when I was watching the basketball. Tony, there's so many great athletes. There's so many people out there in every sport now. And, you know, I was talking to, you know, I, talking to parents, and these people are parents. Yes, they're coaches and they're referees and, 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 and all of that. They're administrators. But, Tone, all any of us do now, you did this 20 years ago, so you were ahead of the curve. All any you know, of us do now is drive our kids to practice. Matthew, is, Matthew just left the house at 8 a.m. for practice, basketball practice, 8 a.m. And then we're going to Virginia Beach Wednesday for AAU, more AAU. And every parent I talk to in Vegas, their kids swim, they play golf, they play volleyball. I talked to Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers said, 
he, Doc Rivers said, I love that this is plaguing your life now, that it's taking control of your life. Because I did this with four kids, all right? And he said, there's so many great players in everything. And, Tony, his kids were pros. Yeah. His kids, his daughter was a great volleyball player. She wasn't a pro. But you, I, say that, I, I, I say that because in golf now, Tony, there's, there used to be, I don't know, when I, even 20 years ago when Tiger was on the board and you had, you, had, you had 15 guys maybe who could win. Tony, there seems like there's 40 people who can win. There's double the number. Does and these it cams, does. the cams. Who the hell are they? They will beat your brains out. There are people all over the world who are great at everything. And tennis, tennis has, tennis has this in abundance. It's good that, that Federer and Nadal and and Djokovic. It's good they had their run because Tony, their run would be over, and Serena's run would be over too. Because in the weeds now, there are. 15-year-olds who can beat you. And I watched these kids all weekend in Vegas. I'm like, who is that kid? Who is that kid who hit his mouth on the rim? And they go, eh, you know, he may not make it. <laughs> he may not make it. And that's, that's what the world has come to. And so whether you're watching the British Open or Wimbledon or I, I don't know. I don't know what there is that is not. Did you watch any of the track and field? I know you love track and I field. I did. So I loved it. God, I loved it. I watched the yeah. the high hurdle heats. I watched yeah. the high hurdle heats. How, I watched the women's shot put. I, it, I just. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm the last person on earth that, that watches track. I loved it. I loved it. No, but luckily, Tone, you know, the last couple of weeks we've been able to see that. I did not watch the Tour de France, which came on right no, after. No, I didn't see that. The British Open, I didn't get that. But I did watch some of the track and field. Yeah. And it, Eugene, again, watching sampling, it was like a poo-poo platter, you know, for sports <laughs> over the weekend where you watch and you just marvel. And there's been yeah. greatness. There's always greatness. We're not talking about that. I'm, we're talking about the number of people who devote their lives to this stuff. And tell them one of the reasons there's so many injuries is that these, these kids, they, there's the overusage. You know, I think I told you about this mom saying, my, my kid played more than my kid played more games than LeBron. And I said, and you think that's a good thing? So why are they hurt all the time? Yeah. Because they, they're, they're, they're bodies, Same muscles. they don't recover they're, from bodies, anything no. in any sport. Not no. in any sport. And there are so many great You've got to play different sports or you're going to get injured. I'll get yes. you out of here on this. Yes. So we'll talk about, let's talk about undisputed greatness. Okay. I don't know if you saw this on Friday when Tiger walked over the bridge. Wow. When Tiger had that moment to himself, wow. when Tiger yes. was crying. Yes. And I said out loud to nobody else but me, because nobody else was here, I said, that's it. He may play Augusta once or twice. That's yeah. it. He's yeah. done. He's, yeah. when he's done, when, and when he, he knows after, it. Right? When he said afterward, um, I don't have anything scheduled for this year. I may play once more this year. I think he'll play, you know, he, he, you know, it may be more than Augusta, not much more. Not much more. Yes, he's done. When he said he's he done. couldn't even go out, he wasn't sure he could walk the course and enjoy it. Then what's the point? And so, yes, I think he got it out of his system for the most part. Yeah, I do. With Augusta I do. And, and, and the old He course. got that curtain call. They loved him. He got it. He heard it. He it. saw and, it. And he, and he didn't want to pause. He didn't want to do it like everybody else. Uh, it made – I didn't watch it live. I, I couldn't see oh, it I live. Did. I might have been traveling. And yeah. obviously I saw it. I saw it. And I was glad I didn't see it live because I, I would have broken down. And I, I just – you know, I play golf. Because of Tiger Woods. Golf was not on the menu where I grew up on the south side of Chicago. It wasn't. It may have been on the menu for a handful of people. It wasn't for me. And I played because of Tiger. I played because I knew I could not exist in this profession in any credible way to, to my liking without playing golf. And as you know, a lot of people who get taken late get nuts and they get obsessed. And I, I had years where I was obsessed and I did this because of Tiger. I belonged to a golf club because of Tiger, because he took me there in, in 2001 in Arizona. And so I, his, he, his career changed my life. It changed where I live. It changed how I do business. It changed my career. 
And so I'm acutely aware of what you're saying when you're talking about the, the kind of greatness, that singular greatness that he has given us. And I told you I was much more skeptical of this than you were. When everybody said he's going to come back and play, I'm like, what? I'm happy he tried. I'm happy he tried. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I don't know that I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I hope he feels fulfilled. I yeah. hope he feels that. Yeah, that's a good Because he doesn't word. owe us anything. He, no. he, he owes us nothing. There are really there so are no other sports. Well, I, there are no, I'm, I'm going to say this. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think I'm right. There is no other sport where you can say who's the best who ever played, and there's only two names. There's only two. There's only Nicholas and Woods. That's all there yeah. are. There's no other person no. in that. And I don't know no. that there's another sport where it's just two. Well, Could be three or four. I, I, think, I think the NHL, there should just be one. There should just be one name. It should be Gretzky's name. And, and well, the But there's always... Well, well, no, everybody knows Gretzky's Sorry. the best. You're right about yes. that. Everybody knows he's the best. <laughs> but if you have two... You don't know who the second is. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. And in this yeah, sport, are there more than two? In, I mean, it's just to two. me, there's one in basketball too. But just yeah, two. golf has yeah, those two. Basketball, the second one is open it. for debate. The second yeah. one's open for debate in basketball I, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it is Tony, and you know, with Jack being 80, Jack Nicklaus is 82 years old. You realize that? Yep, yep. 81, 82. So Jack at 80. And Tiger's now 45. And, 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 and by the way, they haven't left us with, with some rum-dum field of players. Again, there are, my God, there's 30 people there's, who can yeah. win any week. They can. And who can give they you can. thrills. Who can, who, can. Who do things and hit shots and win tournaments. And you're like, my God, Matthew Fitzpatrick, whose name wasn't mentioned, he wins the U.S. Open. And then... He, Tony, he was like eleven under. He had a he had a good run, and he played. Obviously, he played with Tiger in the first two days. Yes, and very respectfully, he and Max Homa let Tiger walk alone. It was great. Very respectfully. It was just. It was great, and I've yes. met and interacted with Max Homa and had some couple of discussions with him. He is a just a you know he's you know he's cool. like or just a thoroughly likable guy from what from what I know. I don't know him well at all. And Matthew Fitzpatrick, people got a glimpse of him. Two weeks, three, whatever, three weeks ago. But yes, they did the right thing with Tiger when they let oh, him. Yeah. Oh sure, just right. walk by himself. It was. Oh, a, we it have was no show. Really we have no show today. I'll talk to you later. So what, what are you going to do now? No, you, I'm going to watch Home Run Derby. That's what I'm going to do because I like well, Home way, let me Run just Derby. Ask you one quick question. Yeah. What do you feel about your franchise, your baseball team of choice? Uh, they don't. They're not able to sign anyone. What does that mean? What does that mean anything to you? They won a open, World Series without Bryce yeah. Harper. So maybe they'll win another one and they can thumb their nose at this kid. This is different. All, 15 years is way too long to offer anybody anything. This is different. I don't want to do a whole big thing here, but I'll, I will tell you this. I don't know how you turn down $440 million, Mike. I don't wow. know how you do it. I don't know how you make that bet. Um, but if he leaves this franchise, given all the others who have left – and given the fact that it's for sale, it, it feels like the Middle Ages. You know, it feels like we're going into the dark era of the Washington Nationals. It feels like it's an eight-year, 50-win team. You know really? what I mean? You think it so? does. It they feels recovered terrible. from Harper. They won. Yeah, but they haven't recovered. They haven't recovered from Turner and Scherzer and Rendon. Right, and if you add right. this guy... If you add this guy to that list, right. then whoever right. buys the team is going to have to prove to the people that they care and that they're willing yeah. to do what's right. It's 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 not a great deal. All right, I'll talk to you later. Michael Wilbon, right, boys Thanks. and girls. Um, Steve Sands, when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is the band... Sadly, breaking up. This is the band, The Almost Faithful, sent uh, two songs to us. Hal Duranek sent the songs to us. It's his band. This is called Help Me, Baby, I'm Aching. Um, they're very, very good. Michael, if, if bands that are breaking up or staying together <laughs> or reforming want to send us their music, how do they do that? 
It's a different kind of show, but please send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. All right, Steve Sands joins us. It's always a pleasure. I, I just I want to ask just one more hotel question before we get to the actual open. Now that you spent enough time in the Rusak, is that how it's pronounced? Rusak's Hotel? Is that the pronunciation? Yeah. Okay. How was it on a, you know, in terms of location, the location's obviously great. Was it everything you wanted or does it come up a little short or does it exceed expectations? My two free passes in life are Halle Berry and Elle McPherson because they are 19s on a scale of 1 to 10. The Rusex wow. is a 20. Wow, a 20. a 20. So that may be the best hotel Perfect. you've ever been to then in, in some sense. It's the best setup of all time. You're standing right beside the 18th hole. You're in the town of St. Andrews. It is spectacular and you know, you've got Spieth and Thomas and McElroy staying there. You've got Peyton Manning and Cooper Manning and Eli Manning staying there. Big-time people staying there. And it's not that it's – I'm not name-dropping. I'm not saying anything about it being fancy. It's just the location is right in town. It's right yeah. next to the 18th hole at the old course at St. Andrews during an open championship. It's absolutely – spectacular. We had a chance to meet the owners. It's a big group, uh, including the Mannings, um, who have been, have been investors uh, in this. A big group of hotels. One of them is the Rusex. They've redone it since the last time the old course hosted uh, the Open Championship in 2015. And it is just spectacular. Literally spectacular. I'm I am happy. You know, I've, been, I've been to a million of these things, and you know that. I begged Valerie to come. So listen, if you're ever going to go to one open at one place where we're staying, this is the one. And she came and she'll tell you it was an incredible experience. It was great. And she got to hear a whole bunch of people yelling La Cheeserie no matter where you are at the home of golf. <laughs> how great Which, is that? How can, how, can you, how can you beat that when you're walking down the first fairway at the old course where the game was invented and – People on the stands are screaming "La Cheeserie" and so just get the biggest kick at it. So it was the only uh, thing better would be if Peyton Manning was screaming. The Rusex is spectacular, Tony. It's, it's All right, let's get great. to the let's get to the golf. And I know how much you like Rory, and I really like Rory. And Rory has become a spokesman for the PGA Tour. And I wanted Rory to win, and I thought Rory was going to win. I'm not saying I I thought it was a total lock. But I thought Rory was going to win. It was set up for him to win. He knew it. Everybody knew it. How surprised are you that he, in fact, didn't, that he got beat? He got caught and passed. 64, you cannot ever say somebody lost it if somebody throws a 64 on a Sunday. But how surprised are you? Yeah, we've talked about this for years, Tony, in sports. It doesn't matter whether it's individual or whether it's a team game. There, there, are, there are certain ways... You know, teams and individuals lose in sports, no matter what the level. You can get beat, or you can lose it yourself. And he got beat. Look, I shot 30 on the back nine, five straight birdies at the old course at St. Andrews in the 150th Open. Um, you know, you got to hand it to Cam Smith, but I was stunned that Rory didn't win. He got run over. You know, he had a two-shot lead. Uh, and I think that he was thinking Victor Hovland because they had a four-shot lead before the day began. I think Rory and Victor were thinking, okay, we need to beat each other here, and one of us is going to hoist the Claire Jug. And Rory didn't play badly. He didn't make a bogey. He had a two-shot lead uh, on the back nine. He had a four-shot lead over the next best player outside of Victor Hovland who was in his group, and he hadn't made a bogey all day, and he just got run over. I I'm shocked. He didn't win, and he is devastated, Tony. Man, that was a soul-crushing loss yesterday because of – not because of the Open, because the Open, the PGA, the Masters, the U.S. Open, they all mean the same to these guys. But when you're McElroy from Northern Ireland, you're the most popular player uh, over there in the U.K., pretty much anywhere in the world, uh, and you're playing at what he deems the holy grail of golf, St. Andrews, which is the home of the sport – Oh, man, that was a soul-crushing loss. I am shocked that he didn't win. So let me get to the next and the most obvious question. 
Roy McElroy has four majors. He's had them for a while. Yeah. He's a great player. There aren't 30 guys who have more than four majors in the whole history of golf. It's hard to get to five. It's hard to get to four. It's hard to get to three. This kind of loss where it is right on the table for him, where he felt he was going to win, where everybody felt he was going to win, where Paul Azinger setting up the day said it's a head-to-head match between Rory and Victor Hovland and the winner is going to win this. How much do you think it's now possible, and you wouldn't have said this a week ago, that Rory McIlroy will never win another major? Yeah, it's a great question. Paul and I talked about this before we went on the air. So NBC went on the air. We went on the air from 12 to, say, 7.30. It lasted, I think, till about 7.30 uh, local time. So about 7 a.m. to about yeah. 2.30 local time in D.C. on the East Coast. And Paul and I, I was in the tower for the first three and a half hours. Then Paul came in um, with the with Dan Hicks. And Paul and I were talking before we went on the air. And, and he looked at me and said, what do you think? And I said, I think, I think Roy has to win today. I think he has to win or else he might never win a major. And he's like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, he's, he's a golfer. You know, I'm not. You know, he played. He won a major. He's been there. I haven't. And he goes, I don't know. I go, Paul. He is leading the Open Championship at his favorite place. And he is, other than 2019, Tony, I told Paul this, other than 2019 at Augusta, when Tiger won, he's in the final group of Molinari and Finau, I have never, ever been to a golf tournament, never been to a major championship, any time where you could feel the entire world was rooting for one guy. The ovations he would get, the adulation he was receiving, the fans, not just on site, but watching on TV, everyone wanted him to win. And I just said to Paul, I think that if he doesn't win today, he might never win one. And Paul kind of said I was wrong, and now I hope he is wrong, because I don't want Rory to never win another major championship. He's only 33 years of age. But the impetus to your question, Tony, is the way I thought before the day began. This was Rory's major to win. This yeah. was his Open Championship to hoist that Claire Chuck for a second time. And Jack Nichols and Tiger Woods, now they both have done it, so it's easy to say it, but they both have said your career is not complete in this sport unless you've won an Open Championship at St. Andrews. Rory shot 63 in the first day on 2010, the first time he played in an Open there. Then he had that ridiculous weather day on Friday and shot 80. Everybody did. Uh, and then in 2015, he's the best player in the world, coming off of all those majors from 2011 and congressional all the way to the PGA 2014. He won four majors in that span, including two in 2014, one of them being an Open Championship at Hoylake, which is where the Open will be played next year at Royal Liverpool. And he couldn't play because he had that freak injury because he was playing soccer with his buddies and he couldn't play in 2015. So now here he is again at the old course, and he's in the final group, four ahead of everybody else. Victor Hovland is throwing up all over himself in the situation, and it was right there for him, and he got run over by a blazing hot putter and player in Cam Smith. Give all the credit to Cam, but I'm, I'm with you, Tony. I'm scared now that Rory might go over the rest of the way. and ugh, that, that would be terrible considering the level of play he has risen to, and also the person who he is. Cam Smith is in his early 20s, and he's now a major champion. All four majors, the people who won them this year, are in their 20s. They are four different people. It's one of the reasons that you say to yourself, wow, the people coming up, they're just so good that maybe guys even even in their early to mid-30s Maybe it's over for them. I mean, this is a real great group of young players, right? No, they're not scared, Tony. They're never afraid of the moment. It's so impressive. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, actually, um, over a beer and uh, at St. Andrews uh, a couple of nights ago. And we were talking about the difference between young golfers versus young football players and NBA players and guys coming out for the NHL and Major League Baseball and saying these guys, they just don't 
look the older guys in golf in the eye and get scared. And nor should they. They're great players. But something's changed in the last, say, couple of decades in golf that when amateurs and collegiate players come out, wherever they come from in the world, they are not afraid, man. It's, it's impressive. Cam Smith was so good yesterday. You, you can't shoot 30 on the back nine at a major at the old course at St. Andrews where the game was invented on the 150th anniversary of the oldest championship in the sport. I mean, that is just a crazy thought. And he did it, not with relative ease. There's nothing easy about it. But the five consecutive birdies, Tony, and then the up and down on 17, 17. behind the bunker. And then the drive at 18 where he's in the Valley of Sin, which is where Costantino Roca famously made that putt to force the playoff in 95 with John Daly. And is very, very difficult to get up and down from there. Uh, and he did after Cameron Young, by the way, made his eagle yeah. to get to 19 under. Cam had to make that birdie putt to get to 20. It was so impressive, Tony. They, they, the young guys, it's a young man's game. Everybody knows that. Uh, but these young guys, and Cam Smith in particular, look, here's the deal with Cam, Tony. Only one guy in the history of the sport has ever won a players and an open in the same year. That was Jack Nicholas. He was pretty good. 1978 was the year, and he did it at the old course. That's what Cam did yesterday. No one else. When you're in the company of nobody other than Jack, you know you've done something special. So let me get to one other person who would be in that company if everybody was saying, whose company do you want to be in? And that's Tiger Woods. On Friday, when he walked right. over that bridge, I mean, I know he didn't pose or anything like that, but he was crying. He was crying. Yeah. And it said to me, I'm done you may see me at Augusta once again. You may. And I may come back here once again. But I know I'm done. And you're not going to see me much at all anymore. That was my read on that when the guy had tears in his eyes. What was your read? Well, Tony, I, I promise you, and, and, I'm not, and I'm not joking, I was thinking of you on Friday as he walked over that Swoken Bridge as the entire golf world stood cheered and gave that man the golf love he deserves for all the things that he has given to the game. You can talk about all the other nonsense all you want. He's won it twice there. He's right there with Jack Nichols as the best player in the history of the sport. You can argue back and forth on that. And I was thinking of you because it was a movie, Tony. Yeah. Watching him walk over the Swoken Bridge on a gorgeous Friday afternoon. And the other two guys he was with let him go alone. They let him go alone. It was such respect. Absolutely. Matt Matt Fitzpatrick, the reigning U.S. Open champion, Max Homo, who grew up in Southern California and last year won Tiger's Genesis Open at Riviera and received the trophy from Tiger, who was his hero growing up in Southern California, which is where Tiger grew up. They stood way back. I I had a drink that night with Joe LaCava, who's his caddy, he's a very yeah. good friend of mine. And I said, what, what's the protocol there? What was that like? He's like, oh, you just stand about 20 yards back and about 30 yards to the right and allow him to have that moment all the way to himself. I spoke to Gary Young, who is a familiar face to those who watch the PGA Tour. He is now in charge. He's not Mark Russell or Slugger White recognizable because he's not been that long-time standing official who's leading the way on the PGA Tour, but he was the walking referee. He said it was the coolest moment he's ever seen in his career. And the reason I was thinking of you, Tony, is you've got to stay till the end of a movie, buddy. You've got to. That was not the kind of movie where you could leave after 15. You had to watch the end. And I'm a crier. I cry at everything. I cry when the National Anthem is sung well at a, national, at, at a, at a ball game. And I'm telling you, Tony, that moment, watching him walk across the Swoken Bridge and have that next 200 yards, 300 yards, all to himself, on literally, you can call the Masters the biggest event in the world. It is. This one's the best event. You know it's my favorite. And being at the old course, which is such a special place and holds everyone's attention, not just in golf but in sports, for 
him to walk up those 250, 300 glass yards after the Swoken Bridge and have that stage all to himself and have the most knowledgeable fans in all of sports. You can have St. Louis Cardinals fans. You can have all the other ones who you think are the best. Nobody, nobody reveres the game and is more knowledgeable in a sport than open championship fans at St. Andrews. And coming down number one at the same time as Tiger is walking up 18, they're, they're adjacent to each other, it's all one piece of grass, is Rory McIlroy. And McIlroy with a nice class tip of the cap, not a huge one, just a very subtle tip of the cap. Tiger said afterwards privately, that's what really started the tears flowing for him. Not just the crowd and the love, but another player of Rory's caliber looking over the exact same time and that happening. By the way, in 2005, if you, if you really want to go on the movie theme, Jack walked over the Swoken Bridge for the last time in his career. And this may or may not be Tiger's last time there, but it could be. When Jack walked over the Swoken Bridge in 2005 and had that crazy, great, incredible, emotional moment, Tiger Woods was walking down one. So think of the synergy there. Now, I'm not making them analogous. I'm just saying there's some synergy there. It was a it's an incredible moment, Tony, and, and one that there's no doubt. Uh, he won't put it up there with his 15 major championship wins, but I promise you, at that venue and that golf course, at that moment, that was as big a deal to Tiger as I've ever seen from the outside looking in to a guy I've covered for basically a quarter of a century. Thank you so much. That, that Just great today. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Steve. Enjoy the rest of your vacation, I hope, in Europe. I hope you have a good time. Talk to you. <laughs> My pleasure, Tony. Anytime for you. It was, uh, it was a great week. It was a, it was a funky ending uh, to a great week, but a deserving champion. Cam Smith, yeah. no doubt, went out and yeah. won it, uh, and he deserves it. And now let's see if he continues to play on the PGA Tour, because that's going to be a side well, story as well. Um, yeah, that, I didn't even want to get into that, but oh. that rears its head. That rears its head, and it will with Matthew Fitzpatrick, and it will with a lot of people. It will. Yes, it uh, will. Whether they go over to the Saudi tour or not, and how that, how that ends up down the road. Thank you, Steve. Uh, my pleasure, Tony. Anytime. Steve Sands, boys and girls, will take a break. We'll have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. A great thanks to the Jinglers from Jingle Fest for doing that. It's a staple for us now. You want to do the Bethesda Bagels ad? Oh, yes. Uh, Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, once upon a time I was falling in love and now I'm only falling apart. Nothing I can do. It's a total eclipse of the heart. Once upon a time there was light in my life. Now there's only love in the dark. Nothing I can say. A total eclipse of the heart. Jimmy Steinman's words, Bonnie Tyler's singing. It's a great song. I understand it's Wagnerian. I understand you can make fun of it. It's a great, great song. song. Yes. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon, Steve Sands. Thanks to our sponsors, ZipRecruiter Trade Coffee. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Ryan Divish, who covers the Seattle Mariners for the Seattle Times, wrote us last week. Greetings from Nats Park, when the Mariners were in with Dave Sims. That's right. Greetings from Nats Park, where the temperature is just a few degrees hotter than the sun. The humidity (laughs) is, well, a crime against humanity. And Barry's Verluga is sitting in the row below me, enjoying the open press box windows. Thanks to a biblical thunderstorm on Tuesday night and that Nationals' decision to run a split doubleheader instead of a traditional doubleheader, probably in hopes of adding an extra 1,000 fans to the 8,000 that will be in attendance tonight. (laughs) It's going to be a long day at the yard. As a loyal listener, dating back to my fourth junior year, at the University of Montana in 1999. I've been lucky enough to have a few emails read in past years, one saying I wanted to jam an ice pick in my ear when Robin Thicke performed on American Idol. (laughs) And I also got hammered to chatter one night by myself on Jameson Whiskey, which might not be a moment to brag about. I appreciate the shout-out from Simsy. 
That's what he calls Dave Sims, like Sansy. You know how baseball nicknames work. He's the best, but the purpose of my email is to highlight what the show has done to me. On Tuesday morning, in search of normal coffee that isn't Starbucks, I was walking around the Navy Yards area, which has blown up into a mass of condos and apartments since the Mariners' last visit to D.C. But instead of paying attention to potential coffee shops or even realizing I was near the Capitol on Journey, I was consumed by license plates. License plates. <laughs> I was course. checking to see how many different two-letter combinations I could find on district plates. I was also trying to see which plates might be diplomatic p- plates while mocking Maryland and Virginia plates. It then progressed into searching for the best number combos after the two letters. What have I become? I better wrap up this email and pay attention to the game. Josiah Gray just gave up another bomb. Two in this inning, which is only surprising because he actually threw strikes to make the Mariners want to swing. Also, tell my buddy Jeff Passon to eat it, Ryan Divis. It's just great. Let me thank um, Robert Sullivan, and let me thank, um, oh, you know what, Michael? Peter Tannenwald, who is the husband of Carol and the father of Jonathan from the Philadelphia Inquirer, they both wrote me about hearing aids. It's very nice. It's information that I need. Uh, Let me just read this from Michael Granberry, our friend, the arts and feature writer from the Dallas Morning News. Thanks so much for playing the music I send to the show and for your kind words about me and the artists whose music I love. Speaking of Lucy Koplansky, did we read this the other day? I don't think we did. Appeared on Weekend Edition with Scott Simon on Saturday, July 16th on National Public Radio. Let's see the Tony Kornheiser show is based in Washington (laughs) and NPR is based in Washington. Is there a connection? I'm just saying. Um, Brian Kearns in Jefferson, Maryland. And he writes, nobody famous here except fellow Littles, Tim and Colleen. And he writes, so Steve Sands got a half glass shower and two faucets in the UK. Lucky him. My first UK hotel bathroom had a tub with no curtain, no glass, <laughs> and a handheld wand. That sounds about it was right. the narrowest tub I ever saw, only about a foot and a half wide. So there was no way I, 61230 at the time, could use it like a tub. So it was Neil, use the wand, and try not to wash the whole floor at the same time. My second UK bathroom, huge, about the size of 10 Uncle Benny's tables with a full glass enclosed shower. The catch was on the second floor and had a picture frame window overlooking the main street of the town but with a sheer see-through curtain. So every time I showered, brushed my teeth, or did what you do in bathrooms, I was on full display to all driving by, walking by, stumbling out of the attached pub or leaving the restaurant across the street. So I'll take the scalding water and the risk of second-degree burns from the towel warmer over being entertainment for people with fetishes. Thanks for three-plus decades of entertainment from the columns of the podcast. My first memory of you on the radio was when you were the guest celebrity singer, I think, on WMAL, but I'm sure you've forgotten you ever did that. I have. Thank you, Brian Kearns, for that. From Jeff Lowy in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Okay, let's try this again. I told you last year, and you told Michael to hold on to my email for this year. Powdered milk in your soil, you dope. Do I need to put a tickler in my outlook every year to remind you? Don't bother asking what I just said. Michael can explain what a tickler is. This is for blossom rot. Let's hold that one aside. (laughs) Jeff Alexander in Salinas, California and Seattle, Washington. I had to stop listening to the July 12th episode as soon as I heard Dave Sims' voice and write you a quick note. As a native of Seattle, there are three voices that are synonymous with baseball in my life. Dave Nihas, Rick Riz, and Dave Sims. I rarely get to hear him or Rick anymore since I left for the Navy in 2011. Occasionally, I hear them online while watching highlights of the M's, but nothing ever longer than a few seconds. So to hear Dave on the pod has given me an incredible feeling of being home, despite being 800 miles or so from Seattle here in Salinas, California. I'll wrap this up since I want to get back to listening to the episode since I paused it only 40 seconds in. Please don't judge my grammar too harshly. My wife isn't home and my four-year-old and -and one-and-a-half-year-olds aren't great proofreaders yet. P.S. My book, your book was called Tor, T-O-R. I'd look up the meaning, but again, my wife is gone, and I have a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old all by myself. <laughs> um, from William Reese, breaking news, the fresh market on Route 1 has coffee ice cream. I know it. I bought it a few months ago. It stinks. Right. It's bland. It isn't any good. It's not every coffee ice cream it we're looking for. It isn't any good. Yes, we want the... The, the, uh, the Dunkin' Donuts one. From Jagger yeah. Kugler in Massapequa, New York, which only I know there are very Dunkin well. Dunkin' Donuts in Rehoboth. If only there was. I think there is. They just don't have any service <laughs> at 6 service. in the morning. Uh, Massapequa is at the, you know, the Massapequa is where the uh, Baldwin brothers are from. Oh, Massapequa, New York. okay. As a fellow Long Islander, I'm wondering if you ever got a chance to try the iconic burger joint, All American on Merrick Road in Massapequa. Get say it again, Massapequa. <laughs> If you haven't had the great pleasure, may I suggest stopping by for the best burgers, fries, and shakes you'll ever have. They even serve fresh, pillowy knishes if you're so inclined. If the food doesn't impress you, the prices surely would. 
a quality cheeseburger at All-American, $1.95. Need I say more? Here's a little numerology fun for you. My parents' house phone number has been out of commission for quite a while. It was really easy to remember as a kid, 799-3927. That's three nines and two sevens in the phone number. Easy peasy. La cheeserizzi. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, from Brian Barrick about my high school graduating class. You only had 420 in your graduating class. We had 96, and I knew 20 of them, and I hated every single one. <laughs> that saves the email, because he hated every single one. You know, I don't, uh, 420, um, where I grew up, 420 was, you know, not a lot. We were in South Shore 3, so that meant the Division II schools and Division I schools all had more than we did. And then we were nearby New York, and New York and had, had... Yeah, thousands, right? They had a thousand. Yeah, right. They had a thousand, but I understand that... How many did you have in Ozone Park? Uh, 1,300. 1,300 at John Adams High School, Carol's. That's a year. 1,300, yeah. So anyway, if you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Yeah, here's the thing. We're not the wonders right now. We're Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. <laughs>
fade Maybe it's desire exploding in me like a deviant grenade Misunderstanding at all Everything is crystal clear Help me, baby, I'm aching 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 These periods sound desperate and weak While I try to sing your praise Darting back and forth from joyous to bleak Like a rat within a maze That you appear radiating like a god A drunken premonition, awkward and weird Stunning if a little flawed Help me, baby, I'm aching 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 I'm aching, help me, baby, I'm aching, help me, baby. 